Chapter Twenty Two of The Wanderer or Female Difficulties. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Wanderer or Female Difficulties by Fanny Burney. Chapter Twenty Two. It was not the design of Ellis to return any more to lose. The gross treatment which she had experienced, and the daily menace of being dismissed, were become utterly insupportable, and she determined, in a letter from Brighthelmstone, to take a final leave of Mrs. Maple. From the high influence of Miss Arbe in what is called the polite world, she hoped that to engage her favour would almost secure prosperity to her favoured wish and plan of exchanging her helpless dependency for an honourable, however fatiguing, exertion of the talents and acquirements with which she had been endowed by her education, though nothing short of the courage of distress could have stimulated her to such an attempt. As soon, therefore, as Miss Arbe renewed her eager invitations, Ellis expressively said, are you sure, madam, that you will not repent your goodness, when you know that I want, as well as that I value it? A carriage, which they just then met, stopped the chaise, and the voice of Miss Bidle called out a lamentation, that she was obliged to go home, because her brother wanted the coach, though she had earnest business at Brighthelmstone, whither she entreated Miss Arbe to convey her. Miss Arbe seemed much chagrined both by the interruption and the intrusion, yet was so obviously going that way that she knew not how to form an excuse, and Miss Bidle entered the chaise. Extremely pleased by the sight of Ellis, "'What?' she cried. "'My sister-actress! Why, this is what I did not expect indeed. I was told you would go nowhere, Miss Ellis, but to Lady Aurora Granville and the Honourable Med Howell. Pray, is it true?' I should not ask it if it were a secret, for I know nobody likes one's being curious. But as all the servants must know it, it's not a thing to be kept long in the dark. And I am told, too, since it's being found out that you are a young lady of fashion, that it's the high talk that you've made a conquest of Lord Melbury. And I can't but say I should like to know if that's a report that has got any foundation. Pray will you be so kind as to tell me?" Ellis assured her that it had not the least. Well, how people do make strange stories. One piece of information, however, I should be really glad if you would give me, and that is whether you are come over to settle here, or only upon a visit to Mrs. Maple, and whether she has the care of your fortune as a sort of guardian, or whether it is all in your own hands. Ellis, disturbed by these most unseenable questions, answered in a dejected tone that she was not happy enough to be able, at this moment, to give any circumstantial account of herself. Miss Arbe, who only imperfectly understood the speech which had been made as the chaise was stopped, languished to hear it explained. Privately, therefore, by arch winks and encouraging taps, she urged on the broad questions of Miss Bidle though she was too expert and adept in the rules, at least, of good breeding, not to hold back herself from such interrogatories as might level her elevated fame with that of the gross and homely Miss Bidle, who to sordid friends owed a large fortune, left her laden life, but neither education nor manners, that might have taught her that its most hateful privilege is that of authorizing unfeeling liberties. They had arrived, nevertheless, within half a mile of Brighthelmstone, before anything really explanatory had passed. 
Ellis, then, alarmed with reflecting that, if again dragged to lose, she must again have to quit it, with scarcely a chance of such another opportunity for endeavouring to bring forward her project, conquered her reluctance to opening upon her distress, and said, "'You little suspect, Miss Arb, how deep an obligation I owe to your kindness in carrying me to-day to Brighthelmstone. "'How so, Miss Ellis? How so, my dear?' cried Miss Bidle, before Miss Arb could answer. "'My situation,' she continued, "'which seems so pleasant, is perhaps amongst the most painful that can be imagined. I feel myself, though in my native country, like a helpless foreigner, unknown, unprotected, and depending solely upon the benevolence of those by whom, accidentally, I am seen for kindness, or even for support.' The amazement of the two ladies, at this declaration, was equally great, though Miss Arb, who never spoke and never acted, but through the medium of what she believed the world would most approve to hear her say, or to see her do, had no chance of manifesting her surprise as promptly as Miss Bidle, who made her own judgment the sole arbitrator of her speech and conduct, and who immediately called out, "'Well, nobody shall ever try to persuade me I am in the wrong again. I said the whole time there was certainly something quite out of the common way in this young person, and it's plain I was right. For how, I said, can it be that, first of all, a young person is brought out as nothing, and then is turned into a fine lady, when, all the time, nobody knows anything about her? But pray tell me this one thing, child, what was the first motive of your going over the seas, and what might be the reason of your coming back again in such an untowardly sort of manner, without any money or any one to be accountable for your character? Ellis made no answer. The obligations, however heavy of endurance, which led her to bear similar, and still more offensive examinations from Mrs. Maple, existed not here, and the compulsion of debts of that nature, could alone strengthen the patience, or harden the feelings of a generous spirit, to sustain so rude and unfeeling an inquisition. Miss Arb, though anxious to understand, before she uttered even a word, what sort of footing, independently of Mrs. Maple, this young person was upon in the world, failed not to remark, in her silence, a courage that unavoidably spoke in her favour. Ellis saw, but too plainly, how little she had to expect from spontaneous pity, or liberality, and hesitated whether to plead more humbly, or to relinquish at once her plan. "'You are still, then,' resumed Miss Bidle, "'at your secret-keeping. I find that we were told so much about at the beginning, before the discovery of your being a lady of family and fashion, which came out so, all of a sudden, at last.' that I should never have believed a word of it, but for knowing Mrs. Maple to be so amazingly particular as to these points. And Mrs. Howell, here interrupted Miss Arab, casting at Ellis, upon the recollection of such a confirmation of her birth and connections, a look of so much favour that, again hoping for her aid, Ellis begged to alight at Miss Matson's, the milliner. Miss Arab said that she would attend her thither with pleasure. "'And I, my dear,' said Miss Bidle, "'will go in with you, too, for I want a few odd matters for myself.' Ellis, finding how little she was understood, was forced to add, "'It is not for any purchases that I go to Miss Matson. It is to lodge in her house till I can find some better asylum.' 
the first amazement of the two ladies sunk into nothing, when contrasted with that which they experienced at this moment. That she should acknowledge herself to be poor was quite enough, but her other claims to notice what they might to excite immediate contempt in Miss Bidle, while Miss Arbe in that point more liberal, but in all that she conceived to belong to fashion, a very slave, was embarrassed how to treat her, till she could gain some information how she was likely to be treated by the world. But neither of them had entertained the most distant suspicion, that she was not settled under the roof and the patronage of Mrs. Maple. To hear, therefore, of her seeking a lodging, and wanting an asylum, presented her in so new, so altered, and so humiliated a point of view, that Miss Bidle herself was not immediately able to speak, and the two ladies stared at each other, as if reciprocally demanding how to behave. Ellis perceived their dilemma, and again lost her hope. "'A lodging!' at length cried Miss Bidle. "'Well, I am less surprised than anybody else will be, for when things have an odd beginning, I always expect them to have an odd end. But how comes it?' for that can be no secret, that you are looking out for a lodging. I should like to know what all that means. Pray what may be the reason that Mrs. Maple does not find you a lodging herself? And who is to take care of you? Does she lend you any of her own servants? These things at least can be no secrets, or else I should not ask. But the servants must needs know whether they are lent or not. Ellis made no reply, and still Miss Arb held back. Well, resumed Miss Bidle. I don't like to judge anybody, but certainly it is no good sign to be so close. Some things, however, must be known whether people will or not, so I hope I at least may ask whether your friends are coming to you in your lodging, and what you intend to do there, and how long you think to live there, and what is the true cause of your going there, for there must certainly be some reason." Ellis, who now found that she must either answer Miss Bidle or forgo her whole scheme, from the determined backwardness of Miss Arb to take any active part in her affairs, said, "'My past history, madam, it would be useless to hear, and impossible for me to relate. My present plan must depend upon a charitable construction of my unavoidable, indispensable silence.' without which it would be madness to hope for any favour, any recommendation, that may give the smallest chance of success to my attempt. "'And what is your attempt?' cried Miss Bidle. "'For if that's a secret too, I can't find out how you're to do it.' "'On the contrary,' she answered, "'I am well aware that I must publish or relinquish it, and immediately I would make it known, if I dared hope that I might appear qualified for the office I wished to undertake, in the eyes of—' She looked at Miss Arb, but did not venture to proceed. Miss Arb, understanding, and feeling the compliment, yet uneasy to have it equally understood by Miss Bidle, complacently broke her silence, by saying, "'In whose eyes, Lady Aurora Granville's?' "'Ah, madam, the condescending partiality of Lady Aurora might encourage every hope of the honour of her interest and zeal, but she is peculiarly situated, and perhaps the weight that must be attached to a recommendation of the sort which I require,' she was going to say, might demand more experience than her ladyship's extreme youth allowed to have yet fallen to her share. But she stopped. She was aware that she stood upon dangerous ground. The vanity of Miss Arb was, at least, as glaring as her talents, 
and to celebrate even her judgment in the fine arts, though it was the pride of her life, by an insinuation that, at one and thirty she was not in the first budding youth of fifteen, might offend, by an implication that added years contributed to a superiority, which she wished to have considered as due to brighter genius alone. From what was said, Miss Arbe could not be without some suspicion of what was held back, and she as little desired to hear, as Ellis to utter, a word that might derogate from the universal elevation and distinction at which she aspired. She was perfectly ready, therefore, to accept what would flatter, and to reject what would mortify her, forgetting, in common with all vain characters, that to shrink from the truth ourselves saves one person only from hearing our defects. "'It is true,' said Miss Arbe, smiling, "'Lady Aurora cannot be supposed to have much weight with the world, amiable as she is. The world is not very easily led, and certainly only by those who acquire a certain ascendance over it, by some qualifications not entirely of the most common sort.' "'But I still don't understand,' cried Miss Bidle, "'what it is Miss Ellis means. "'What is it you want to be recommended about, child? "'What is this attempt you talk of? "'Have you got your fortune with you? "'Or does Mrs. Maple keep it in her own hands? "'Or have you not got any left? "'Or perhaps you've had none from the beginning?' Ellis briefly explained that her wish was to be placed in some family, where there were children, as a governess. Again the two ladies were equally surprised at the project of so steady and elaborate an undertaking, and Miss Bidle broke forth into the most abrupt inquiries of how Mrs. Maple came to agree to such a scheme, whether it were approved of by Mrs. Howell, and what Ellis could teach or do if it took place. Ellis, when compelled to speak, was compelled also to confess that she had not mentioned her design to either of those ladies. Miss Bidle now, stiffly drawing up, declared that she could not help taking the liberty to say that for a young lady, who was under the care of two persons of so much consideration and fortune, to resolve upon disposing of herself, without consulting either of them, was a thing she never should countenance, and which she was sure all the world would be against. These were alarming words for Miss Arbe, whose constant and predominant thought was ever upon public opinion. All, too, seemed now at an end that had led, or could lead, to conciliation, where there was so peculiar a rivalry in talents, joined to a superiority of beauty, visible even to her own eyes. For how, if the hours of Ellis were to be consigned to the care and improvement of young ladies, could either time or opportunity be found to give, and in private, the musical instructions, for the hope of which alone Miss Arb had been so earnest in her invitations, and so courteous in her manners. Without offering, therefore, the smallest softening word to the bluff questions, or gross censures of Miss Bidle, she was silent till they entered Brighthelmstone, and then only spoke to order the postillion to stop at Miss Matson's. There arrived, the two ladies let her alight alone. Miss Bidle, with a proud nod, just uttering, Goodbye, and Miss Arb, with a forced smile, saying she was happy to have been of any use to her. Ellis remained so confounded when thus unexpectedly abandoned that she stood still a few minutes at the door, unable to answer, or even to understand, the civil inquiries of a young woman from the shop 
whether she would not come in to give her commands when a little recovered she entered and in the meek tone of apprehension asked whether she could again hire for a few nights or a week the little room in which she had slept some time since miss matson recollecting her voice came now from the back parlour most courteously rejoicing at seeing her and disguising her surprise that she should again inquire for so cheap and ordinary a little lodging for miss matson and her family had learnt from various reports that she was the same young lady who had given so much pleasure by her performance in the provoked husband and who had since made a long visit at the honourable mrs howells near whose mansion was situated the shop but whatever might be the motive of her return there could be none against her admission since they knew her high connections and since even now she was set down at the shop by miss arb the little room therefore was speedily prepared and the first use that ellis made of it was to write to selina she desired leave to present her thanks to mrs maple for the asylum which had been afforded to her distress without any hints of the drawbacks to its comfort and then briefly communicated her intention to pass the rest of the time of her suspense and difficulties in working at her needle unless she could find means to place herself in some respectable family as a governess to its children she finished her letter by the warmest acknowledgments for the kindness which she had experienced from selina the person who took this note was desired to apply to mrs fenn for the ready-prepared baggage of ellis this which she thought a respect demanded by decency to mrs maple was her first action she then opened as a balm to her wounded feelings the letter of lady aurora granville but had the cruel disappointment to find in it only these words hate me not sweet ellis but i am forbidden to write to you forbidden to receive your letters a g deeply hurt and deeply offended ellis now was filled with the heaviest grief though neither offended nor hurt by lady aurora whose trembling handwriting she kissed a thousand times with the perfect conviction that their sufferings were nearly reciprocal from this terrible prohibition her little baggage soon arrived with a letter from selina containing a permission from mrs maple that ellis might immediately return to lose lest which mrs howell would never forgive she should meet with lord melbury ellis wrote a cold excuse declaring her firm purpose to endeavour to depend henceforth upon her own exertions and to strengthen this resolution she re-read a passage in one of her letters from abroad to which she had frequent recourse when her spirits felt unequal to her embarrassments dans une position telle que la vôtre in your present lonely unprotected unexampled situation many and severe may be your trials let not any of them shake your constancy nor break your silence while all is secret all may be safe by a single surmise all may be lost but chiefly bear in mind what has been the principle of your education and what i wish to be that of your conduct and character through life that where occasion calls for female exertion mental strength must combat bodily weakness and intellectual vigour must supply the inherent deficiencies of personal courage and that those only are fitted for the vicissitudes of human fortune who whether male or female learn to suffice to themselves 
be this the motto of your story. End of chapter 22 Recording by Roxana Nazari